Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Greetings everyone. Today's the 15th of May. I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia at Bank Julius Baer. On Friday last week, Julius Baer published a research report titled Japan Reopening and Reform. And I wanted to briefly summarize it for you. Even though Japan's heyday was over three decades ago, it's still a very relevant place. It's still the world's third largest economy, the world's third largest stock market, and I might add the world's third largest bond market too. The bond market's actually returned a decent 3.5% so far this year in yen terms. But because the yen is down 3.6% against the dollar, returns in Japanese bonds for dollar investors are essentially flat. The stock market's more interesting. The Tokyo Stock Price Index returned 12.2% in yen so far this year. And so in dollars, that's a very decent 8.4%, putting it on par, actually even slightly better, than the United States Benchmark S&P 500 Index. Now, most investors who have global portfolios, even if few of them will say so openly, are steering clear of the second largest economy and market, that's China, geopolitics, the experience of zero COVID, and an apparently mediocre economy are what's keeping them away. We aren't as pessimistic on the Chinese market. That's a story for another time. The point of my bringing it up is simply to say they're looking for alternatives, and the Japan story seems to stack up for them. First, Japan lifted its COVID restrictions much later than most other countries. The wearing of facial masks was only made voluntary in March. Until September last year, tourists could only visit on guided tours, and until two weeks ago, negative COVID tests and vaccination certificates were required to enter the country. Now tourists are flooding in. Arrivals in March were 70% higher than what they were in March 2019, according to the Japan National Tourism Organization. During the pandemic, Japan followed the playbook of most developed countries to compensate for the drop in spending among businesses and consumers. The government dispensed generous subsidies and increased its own spending. So excess savings were accumulated in the same way they were in the West, and the post-pandemic recovery that happened in the West last year is happening in Japan now. The second thing that's interesting is an undervalued currency. The yen reached a low of 149 to the dollar in October last year. Since then, it's recovered to 135. That's still a third less than what it was at the beginning of 2021. And if you ask anyone who's been to Japan recently, they'll tell you it's just so cheap. A friend of mine was in Tokyo two weeks ago. He told me he and his wife had a lovely sukiyaki lunch with wine in the Ebisu area for $50. You'd be hard-pressed to find a restaurant in Singapore where you could get a lunch like that for one person, let alone two. That means Japan's very competitive. But if you want to go to visit, we recommend going now because we don't think the cheap yen will last. Julius Baer's chief economist David Cole thinks the Bank of Japan will widen its yield curve control band or even abolish it during its June or July meeting. And he forecasts the dollar-yen rate to be at 123 in a year's time, or about 10% higher than where it is now. The third interesting part of the Japan story is Warren Buffett. The legendary investor visited Japan last month. During the summer of 2020, his company, Berkshire Hathaway, bought stakes of 5% each in Japan's five big trading houses, Mitsui, Mitsubishi, Itochu, Marubeni, and Sumitomo, the so-called Sogo Shosha. 
They were among the most venerable companies in Japan. They were all founded in the late 19th century, except Sumitomo, that was actually founded in the 17th century. Well, during his visit to Japan last month, Warren Buffett met the CEOs of those companies and disclosed that Berkshire's stake in each of them had been raised to above 7.4%. And he said, we're not done investing in Japan. Berkshire Hathaway's investment in the trading houses that it made in the summer of 2020 has almost doubled in dollar terms. So the feeling is if Warren Buffett, who follows the Benjamin Graham School of Value Investing, was able to make such good money in Japan, and he says he's not done investing there, then surely there are other value gems to unlock there too. And that is true. Japan is a value investor's paradise. Half of the companies listed on the Tokyo Stock Exchange trade below one times price book. That means they're trading at less than the value of their assets. And when Mr. Buffett bought his initial stakes in the Sogo Shosha three years ago, they were trading below one times book too. But the Buffett effect didn't spread to the broader Japanese equity market because the Tokyo stock price index has actually only returned 6% in dollars over the same period of time. Because the fact is, the Sogo Shosha are different from the broader market. For many years, the Sogo Shosha had been investing into basically everything you can imagine, from copper to offshore oil, wind farms to water treatment, LNG vessels to cloud computing. The list is very long. But by 2015, they stopped that investing and started producing big free cash flows. Their debt levels began falling, their dividends started rising. So by the time Warren Buffett bought them, they all had free cash flow yields in the teens and high returns on equity. Even today, Marubeni's return on equity is 25%. Itochu, Mitsubishi, and Mitsui are 20%. And sadly, you can't say that for the broader Japanese market. The return on equity for Japan Inc. is 8%. Not only is that low compared to the Sogo Shosha, it's low compared to practically everything else. The American stock market has an average return on equity of 18.4%. Europe's is 12.9, the United Kingdom 13.7, even emerging markets as a whole have an average return on equity of 13%. So why is Japan's return on equity at 8% so low? It's because the profit margin is low. There's simply too much competition. Think about the car makers. There's still five of them. And there are five big securities companies. And there are five big banks and over 60 regional banks and thousands of middlemen, wholesalers, and agents. That explains why Japan has a price-to-book ratio that's so low at 1.2 times compared to 2.6 times for the United States. It's cheap for a reason. Now, some analysts are making the case that this reason is about to change, that the return on equity of Japan Inc. is about to go up. First, they say that the structural aspect of Japan's labor shortage has finally caught up with it. The population peaked 15 years ago. They've squeezed as much as they can out of women joining the workforce. The percent of women in the workforce rose strongly from about 20% in 2012 to 25% in 2020, but it's plateaued since then. Immigration is happening, but not on any scale to match other developed countries. Fluency in Japanese is generally required in order to get permanent residency, and it's not an easy language to master. And on top of that, the yen's decline in value makes it a less attractive place for foreigners to want to go and work. So wage negotiations this spring 
resulted in a 2.1% rise in base salaries. That's the largest increase since 1992, even when former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was putting big pressure on companies to pay their staff more. Wages were only growing at half a percent per year. Many economists think that even if the 2.1% rise this year isn't repeated, wage growth should stay above 1% for the next few years because of persistent global inflation and this labor shortage. Another reason being cited by analysts in favor of higher returns on equity is a push since January from the Tokyo Stock Exchange for corporate reform. It's asked companies whose shares trade below book to submit plans on how they intend to boost their return on equity. The easiest way to do it is to spend some of their tremendous cash hoard on dividends and share buybacks. According to investment bank CLSA, 40% of companies listed on the Tokyo Stock Exchange have the equivalent of 20% of their equity in cash. Yet the payout ratio of Japanese companies is only about half what it is in American companies. Fujitech, Honda Motor, Citizen Watch, Dainapon Printing, these are all examples of companies that have announced share buybacks. But frankly, beyond those names, we don't see a lot of clear evidence of a trend. And we don't really expect the majority of companies to follow them, when the only pressure being put on companies to reform seems to be embarrassment for those whose shares trade below book value. And much more importantly, while Japan's shrinking population may be a source of higher wages, it's also a very big problem. Prime Minister Fumio Kishida said in January, and I'll quote him, Japan is standing on the verge of whether we can continue to function as a society. End of quote. Last year, only 800,000 babies were born on a population of 126 million people. In a survey in December, the Nippon Foundation found only 16% of teenagers said they planned to marry. Meanwhile, part-time employees are 25% of all workers, up from 12% in the 1990s. Those workers don't have the security and perks that full-time employees do. So much as we would like to believe this time is different, there isn't enough evidence that there is, and Frankly, the other times, the other attempts to reform Japan's economy, like those of former Prime Ministers Junchiro Koizumi and Shinzo Abe, were much more strident than this one so far. Now, having said all that, Japan's stock market at $5.6 trillion in market capitalization is enormous, and there are 3,900 companies listed on the Tokyo Stock Exchange. Among them, there are companies that are leaders in what they do globally, and have returns on equity that are much better than the broader index. This is Mark Matthews signing off for now. On behalf of Julius Baer, I wish you a great week ahead. Goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you've heard, please tell us by leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe to Beyond Markets on your favorite podcast player to stay up to date with our latest episodes. To learn more about Julius Bayer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbayer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbayer.com slash legal slash podcast for further important legal information.